The notes that you have over on page 33, if you need to find a place in the Bible, we're on page 994 of the blue Bible that's right in front of you. If you got your own Bible, you're on your own. Mark chapter 5. When we were last studying, we were in uh, Mark chapter 4. And Mark chapter 4 is almost entirely parables, stories that Jesus told to illustrate truths. The first big parable he told was the parable of the sower. And it's a picture of his ministry and how his life was sown into the world. And some people responded well, like fertile soil receives the seed and became his followers. Other people followed for a little while, like seed that fell among thorns and then were choked out by the thorns. Life got too hard following Jesus. And then some people, just like the hard soil, rejected what Christ had to say. And that was the first parable. Then he told three additional parables, just by way of review, that illustrated the lives of us. Those who respond to Jesus. Okay? Those who hear his message. Those who welcome him into their lives. What about us? Well, we become uh, seed sowers as well, we learned. Now, to link with tonight's lesson... I asked uh, Bobby and Jane, who's having heart problems, so we'll have Bobby tonight, to do a little research during the break, because he's one of our interns, as to what is the connection between the parables Jesus taught and the story we're about to look at in Mark chapter 5, as Jesus takes his disciples across the lake and runs into a very unusual situation. What did you come up with, Bobby? Say it as loud as you can. Hey, he wrote it down. Good. That's, that's impressive. Read away. You, you want to come up with the mic? It'll be easier to do it there. You want to give me mic time? Yeah. Thanks, John. Mm -hmm. Said. So what's the connection between that, do you think, 
and what's going to happen in today's lesson when he crosses the lake. Do you see a connection? Oh, yeah. Uh, what the disciples didn't understand, they asked. They mm -hmm. asked the Master. Right. The Logos, who is the Word. Mm -hmm. And when they went across the sea, uh, well, the water was rough. And Jesus laid up in the bow of the ship mm -hmm. and asleep. Everybody else was scared to death. So they went down and woke him up and he rebuked the sea and the wind and everything. Everything calmed down and they said, Wow, what kind of man is this? So then what happened next? Next they hit the shore yep. at a graveyard and there was a man there who was possessed with a, a legion. Okay. And, and why do you think Jesus brought his disciples there? What was he teaching them about what seeds and sowing seed, right? Right. So why do you think they went to the other side of the lake? He wanted to show them that he could take. He took a legion of demons out of one man. Right. He was sowing seed, but the thing is, why did he take his disciples with him? Because he wanted them to learn that he is. But what, what, were the, what was he trying to teach them to do in the parable sense? The same thing. The, to do sow seed. Yeah. yeah. Just like he came to sow seed, he took them across the lake to sow. In fact, what did he find on the other side of the lake in the, in the, in the sowing sense? The man that he discharged the demons from. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what kind of soil was he? <laughs> there you go. That's the connection. Isn't that amazing? Jesus pictures it for them in the teaching of the parables. Then he says, let me show you what it looks like when the seed hits fertile ground. Now, the fertile ground, do you think that was what they expected? No. <laughs> that was some demoniac guy living in a graveyard. Isn't that amazing? You could be saying, good job. You did some good research there. Thanks. Thanks. Just like Bobby did, okay, we'll always give you the passage for the next week. You can do a little research and try to think. Don't just think, okay, does this passage live in a vacuum because it doesn't? Think, how is this connected about to what Jesus has been doing? How is this connected to what Jesus is trying to teach us in the future? That brings us to chapter 5. Thanks, Bobby, for helping. I appreciate that very much. I want you to learn something right as we get started that will help you understand the passage. Jesus has been doing, in Mark's record, most of his ministry up in the, the uh, province of Galilee, where there is a sea by that same name, the Sea of Galilee. It's really just a huge lake. All right? And on that lake, a little town called Capernaum. And Everybody in Capernaum did the same job, pretty much. What, what job do you suppose that was? They were fishermen. I mean, you, if you live by the lake, you're a fisherman. Jesus 
was from Nazareth, which was inland up in Galilee. He was not a fisherman, because <laughs> he didn't live on a lake. But all these guys were fishermen. Now, the interesting thing is, they lived right on the shore of Galilee. It was about 13 miles long, the lake, and seven miles <laughs> wide. And guess what? These disciples had likely, for their whole lifetime, never been to the other side of the lake. Imagine that. You live on a big lake, about seven miles across. You're now an adult. You not only are an adult, you make your living off of the lake. And you've never been to the shore on the other side. <coughs> Question. This sounds sort of like why the chicken across the road doesn't. Why do you think they never went to the other side of the lake? That's exactly right. Because Gentiles lived over there. Do you think when Jesus told the parable about the seed of God's word coming into the world and some of it falling on fertile soil, the disciples thought, oh, he must be talking about Gentile territory. No way. <laughs> He came, the Messiah came for Jews. We know that. That's what the disciples thought. They were all Jews. And Jesus goes, boy, I got a much bigger plan. Let me show you <laughs> what I have in store. We'll take a little trip to the other side. This is the Sea of Galilee today, by the way. To the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Let's get started. With, we're going to start actually right at the end of chapter 4. That when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over the other side. Now see, you would have read that before now and thought, yeah, let's go to the other side. <laughs> but they had never been to the other side. And when you've never been someplace, you develop this scary picture of it, right? Let's go to the other side, says Jesus. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along. I love the I love the wording there. They took him along. He's the one who was taking them along. <laughs> Just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. A furious squall, that's a storm on the lake, came up. And by the way, yet today, these kinds of storms come up very quickly on the Sea of Galilee because of the... Um, uh, the elevation of the area, the sea level is very low, and so storms come up like that from out of nowhere. So that's another reason, by the way, they probably hadn't gone to the other side of the lake because they did not orders on their boats. They were, okay, so so if you were like two miles out from shore, it was going to take a little while to get back to shore if a storm quickly came up. And so that's why Jesus, not a fisherman, but the one who made the lake, thinks it's a good idea to go the other side. But these disciples, who are themselves fishermen, wonder about the wisdom of it. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke <laughs> over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, 
quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now they did have faith. They had faith that he was the Messiah. They didn't have any faith that it was a good idea to go to the other side of the lake. They didn't have any faith that the fertile soil for sharing the gospel was on the other side of the lake where Gentiles live. Does this sound the same way that people in Rockford feel about the southwest side? You've got exactly the same picture. Often where people most need to hear the gospel is where people who follow Christ are terrified to go. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obeyed. See, they had by this point become convinced he was the Messiah. But views regarding who the Messiah was and what he would do among Jews did not include him being God, the creator of the universe in human flesh. This was not... Now, today we connect it to certain Old Testament prophecies, but this was not a belief of even very devout Jews in that day. So they're going like, wait a minute, we know he's the Messiah, but he's speaking to the waves and they obey him. Who is this God? Four of Jesus' disciples were fishermen from Capernaum on the western coast of Galilee, if you have a Bible with maps, look it up or just, just put Sea of Galilee or Map of Palestine, first century, on the internet. You'll get a 20 different maps of it. Who were very familiar with the dangers of navigating its waters. What they feared even more was the reputation of those Gentiles who lived on the opposite coast. You ever, you ever known somebody who was a racist? It didn't matter which race they were, they were against. And, and, and one of the things that could be absolutely certain about that person is if they're a racist, they've never ever known anybody of that race very well. Because it's really easy to hate a whole group of people if you don't really know any of them well. It's hard if you actually get to know someone who's of that group, or like that. So these Jews living on one side of Galilee only heard terror stories about people who lived on the other side, and now Jesus wants to take them over there. So let's see what happens when they get there. Verse 1, chapter 5. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. This was a, a little rural area where Gentiles when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This was a guy who was uh, possessed by a demon and terrorized the area where he lived. By the way, this is where the parallel begins and ends. But I usually use this story when I give my testimony because... The guy and I had a lot of things in common from my childhood. 
The man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. Sounds like they were right there. Scary dudes that live on the other side. Okay. When you're hearing this guy's description, what are you thinking? Are you thinking fertile soil to hear the gospel? <laughs> you're thinking, stay away from that dude. Right? That's what you're thinking. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When I was an uh, adolescent, I think I was maybe about 15, one time I was walking down the, the road in the neighborhood where I lived, and I was kind of oblivious to what other people were doing, but for some reason I noticed that mothers were calling their children out of the yard into the house because I was walking down the road. And for some reason, that troubled me, and so I started having nightmares that that was happening every night when I slept. Though I didn't sleep every night, but the nights when I slept. And that was, that was an awesome thing because the night I accepted Christ, I slept well, and I dreamt about children playing with me and jumping all over me on the ground while I was wrestling with them. That was a picture of how God set me free. This guy was about to have the same, same thing. Night and day among the tombs in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want of me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. So Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, for Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. When Jesus and the disciples arrive on the opposite side, the opposite shore, their worst fears are realized. Right? There they encountered a man. It was even worse than they thought it was. Possessed of evil spirits who constantly tormented the residents of the area with his bizarre behavior. Yet Jesus was not surprised, and he was not afraid. He simply demanded the demons to leave the man, and they did. What happens? Verse 9, then Jesus asked him, what is your name? The demons. My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many, possessed by many demons. And he begged Jesus again not to send him out of the area. Jesus, remember, had been casting out all kinds of demons over in Galilee and Israel. I think if you were a smart demon, you probably headed to the other side of the lake. But now here's Jesus. Well, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. So no Jews would raise pigs, so obviously these were Gentiles. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. 
allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Earlier, the disciples had watched, not much earlier, they were on the lake, right? As Jesus simply spoke to the troubled sea. Now, what we're going to see in the next several weeks as we study these next parts of, of the gospel is how Mark brilliantly positions certain lessons he wants, Jesus wants to teach his disciples with experiences that he uses as examples. Like, for instance, they're having a hard time understanding something. And so Jesus, uh, Jesus heals a deaf man, they're not getting it, and a blind man to show them that you're spiritually blind. you got to get, get through this. And in this particular case, he had this storm on the sea to show, I can calm even the most troubled sea. But the most troubled seas are in the human heart. Inside this guy. Can you imagine the turmoil he was experiencing? Inhabited by a legion of demons. Okay. And in the same way that Jesus spoke, it was immediately calm. He spoke to the demons in this man. And he was immediately calm. Now he did exactly the same thing with this troubled man that he had done on the sea, affirming once again the very reason for his coming to earth. There is no turmoil in your heart which Jesus can't bring peace. These, no mental disorder, no emotional disorder. All he has to do is speak the word. Verse 14. Those tending the pigs <laughs> ran off. Not fertile soil. And reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. Amazing thing here is their response. And they were afraid. This guy's been tormenting them. That was a true reason for fear. Now the guy is in his right mind and clothed, and they're afraid. They don't know what to make of it. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Fertile soil is soil that's ready to receive. But isn't it interesting? Jesus went all the way to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, risked the lives of his disciples and his own life, right? <coughs> went through the peril of being confronted with a demon-possessed man who was out of control, and he did all this to reach how many thousand people? Oh, isn't it amazing? 
There wasn't a single other person who was ready to receive what he wanted to give them. But he went all the way to the other side of the lake for one demon-possessed guy. I remember one night, late at night, I was watching television. And I was watching the BBC. And they were doing a documentary, Malcolm Muggeridge, when he was still alive, at, at the, um, the place of ministry of Mother Teresa. And he was sitting down talking to Mother Teresa as people were bringing in lepers in mass, just a constant flow of people coming for help to her ministry. And Muggeridge was trying to interview her, and he was having a lot of luck because there was a lot of commotion. Finally, he just puts down the mic and he says, how many people do you help every day? You have any idea? And uh, yeah, well, <laughs> my mother Teresa said, yes, we do. How do you know? We count them. How do you count them? There's nothing. There are thousands of people here. We count them like this. One, 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 one. Mr. Muggeridge, you can only help one person at a time. Jesus crosses this lake, risks his life and the lives of his disciples to reach one person. Is that incredible? Think he's trying to tell his disciples something? Remember back with the parable? The Son of Man comes and he sows the seed. He just throws it anywhere. Some of it falls on rock hard ground. It's not going to grow. Some of it falls among rocky or thorny ground and it's not going to last. But it's okay. As long as one seed falls on the fertile soil of one human heart. That's why I came. That's why I crossed the lake. Now, by the way, the first parable pictures Jesus' ministry, and here he's now fulfilling that. But the next three parables picture our ministry. And I think he's trying to tell us, his disciples, something, don't you? Okay? Even if you have to risk your life to cross the lake, if there is fertile soil in the form of one human heart ready to receive the gospel, make the risk. The people on the other side, for the most part, cared nothing for the demon-possessed man. They only cared about his transform how his transformation would impact their business. They wanted Jesus to leave them alone and hope, I'm sure, that he would take the demoniac man with him. You think? Just in case he had a relapse. Verse 18. Now as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Now how many of you think this is a good idea? I think it's a great idea. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? 
Seems like he's really qualified to be a great example of Jesus' ministry. But Jesus doesn't always think like I think. Jesus did not let him, but said, No, you go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy. Isn't that amazing? Who could be a better evangelist than Jesus? This guy. Right? It depends on who the audience is, right? If the audience is the people who saw you living in the grace and crying out at night, and they see you dressed and in your right mind, those are, that's your audience. To follow Jesus, to go back to the other side of the lake, over in the Jewish country, would not have been a good place for him to give his testimony with his own family. I, I've often said, and I, I know it's absolutely true, within the first six months of my conversion, more people came to Christ from what happened to me than I've led to Christ in all of my years of ministry since. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, for one, at last count, Three grandparents, seven aunts and uncles, 25 cousins, two brothers, a sister, a mom, and a dad. My entire neighborhood, an entire square block, all came to Christ as a result. And I never, ever preached the gospel to them. I was just dressed in my right mind. They now felt like they no longer needed to pull their kids in out of and you know, so I don't know what happened to that guy. Something changed him. So think about how pointless it would have been for God to send me far away someplace to tell people about my story. First of all, they had never believed how bad off I was. But those people knew it. They might have even had a more vivid story to tell. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis he was from the region of the Gerasenes, but there were ten Roman installations. If you know any Latin, that's what Decapolis means, ten cities, okay? That surrounded it, and he went to every one of them, all on the Gentile side of the lake. How much Jesus had done for him, all the people were amazed. I think I would. The man was left with a new life and a new purpose for living. He would leave his former life behind and follow Jesus. The Savior, however, had far grander plans. Go to your own people. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. So his amazing testimony was bring, used to bring the gospel to all the people. Oh, by the way, that's it. That's why I use that for my, when I tell my story too. Because, um, so God called me to start a church for misfits because in Bible college when uh, a uh, 
professor challenged me with the project of what kind of church would you start if you could start, start any kind of church? And it occurred to me while I was thinking about it that there ought to be a church for people like me. That I devised a dream and a plan and a vision for building a church. Had no intention of that happening in my hometown. Okay, I had no intention of ever coming back to my hometown. I had lived going to college and doing ministry in uh, Des Moines, Iowa, in Dayton, Ohio, in Tacoma, Washington. I lived all kinds of places, and any of those would have been fine. I was looking to go to as big a city as possible. I thought that's, that would be the perfect place. But, but couldn't get any help, so I came back to Rockford because I could get a quick job from my father-in-law to, to support my family until I found a place where I could start a church. And guess what? Just like this guy, he wanted me in my hometown. Now, by the way, being in my hometown was extremely embarrassing because huge numbers of people knew me before. And I left town very quickly afterwards, so very few people knew me afterwards. But that's where God wanted me. Now, notice the connection. Chapter 4, Jesus says, let me tell you a story that pictures what I'm here to do. I'm like a sower, a farmer, planting seed. I'm here from heaven to earth to share not just the words, but my life like seed. I'm just scattering it everywhere. Some of it will fall on fertile soil. You, my disciples, are fertile soil. There'll be others. But they'll not be in the majority. <laughs> Most people will not accept, will not follow. But I sow the seed. However, <coughs> when my ministry is finished, I'm going to leave you, the soil into which I've planted my life, and you'll plant seed. Where? How? With whom? Well, life will determine that point. Maybe this side of the lake, maybe the other side of the lake. But remember, God wants to use your life to point other people to Him. And that's for sure. I have three minutes. I need one minute to introduce next week's lesson. Anybody have any questions about the text? Thanks for your research. Yes? Yes. Yeah. Right. Oh, so you were saying like the demons. Yeah, so when they called him Legion, there was like an innumerable amount of demons, etc. But you know, I think demon possessed one or five thousand. It doesn't make much difference possessed by a demon. But yeah, that's pretty scary. Maybe that foretells the the, um, the dimension of the evil that was coming from the blood. Or you imagine if you had that on the inside. Of it. Next week we're going to study this passage.
beginning verse 21, chapter 5, through verse 43. Because Jesus now goes back across the lake, back over into Galilee, and Mark highlights a number of events that happened in one day in Christ's life. And they teach us so many things about the ministry of Jesus, who he was, what he had come to do, and how he perceives human need and his role in our lives. Let's pray a close. Father, we're thankful tonight for your word. What a message. Tomorrow, we've got to go to work, or we've got to go shopping, or we've got to spread salt on our ice or something. Don't let us forget that whatever else we're doing, tomorrow, there is seed to be sown. Would you, we pray, sow it through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a great night.